This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the Chelsea Fancast. The 50 years of Chelsea this uh, this year we're doing season this year. This uh, show we're doing the season that was 1999 to 2000. And, if we uh, did it yearly, Chidge, we'd, we'd, um, we'd probably not um, be alive. We'd no. never get to it, would we? Some would say we're probably not anyway, but... Yeah, that's true. Kids. You know, but uh, no, it's definitely 1999 to 2000 tonight. And uh, I am Stanford Chidge, of course, and uh, we're halfway through. We're uh, we're now just about to go into January, but uh, lovely to see Jonathan Kidd and, of course, the absolute legend that is Mark Meehan. Uh, lovely to be here. Really enjoying this evening. Yeah, well, where would we be without your anecdotes, Mark, on these seasons? They're absolute. They're an absolute delight. Uh, anyway, we kick off January with uh, a 2-2 draw with uh, Coventry away, with uh, Roussel scoring for them, Flo for us. Flo gets two, in fact, for us. And Robbie Keane scoring for his boyhood, one of his many boyhood clubs, uh, scores on 81 minutes. Really I'd say that Flo's, sorry to interrupt you, Flo's um, goals were typical Flo, chip over the goalkeeper yeah. and probably drive into the corner. You, really. did, you did interrupt my Flo then, I have to say. Oh, I'm so sorry, but, but perfectly uh, uh, avoided. I mean, no, evaded, what's the word? Perfectly... Um, um um uh yes <laughs> <laughs> do you know what the weird thing about this game was is that Roussel scored on 54 minutes and Flo equalized on 55 and then Keane scored on 81 minutes and then Flo equalized on 82 I just thought that was really odd but there you go uh we follow that up with a um a 1-1 draw away so two draws to kick off the new year not too brilliant uh 1-1 away against Bradford uh, Dan Pet Rescue scores on 58. Um, that we, we battered them in truth, but there you go. And then, guess what? Another match that lives long in the memory, although not like uh, you know the Galatasaray or the United 5-0 or or the AC Milan, but really for one very weird moment. As uh, as we were saying earlier on, uh, George Weyer had just been recruited uh, because Chris Sutton was shit. 
and Vialli had packed it in and we needed we needed a proper striker. Now, George Weyer had been languishing in the reserves at Milan, I believe, and uh, but he was a rather good player. I mean, not that long ago, he had been voted the um, the World Player of the Year in whatever award uh, uh, you know award they do that in. So George Weyer was quite a. a cla- I mean, I for one was very excited that he arrived, and it just so happens uh, that his first match is against Spurs at home. Mark, um, what happened? It's. You know, it's an amazing sort of like latter part of the game, shall, shall we say. But obviously after the Bradford game, 30 shots at goal, we needed a striker. Viali rolls the dice. And on the Monday, he signs George Ware. He flies into London, you know, in the morning, has a nap in the hotel at Chelsea in the afternoon, and then comes off the bench uh, with half hour to go, scores a winning goal against Tottenham. And the buzz you know, around the ground, you know, beforehand when he was warming up, this is like one of the moments of the season. And then him scoring, I think I would say, other than the Man United and the Barcelona games at home this season, this is probably one of the most memorable moments and one of the biggest noise scored. Because George Ware, this is this was a big signing. I actually think this is the biggest signing of the season. This was bigger than you know any other players we signed at the start of the season. This is bigger than Didier Deschamps. You know, George Ware was former footballer well, of the year. Arguably, was, arguably the biggest signing since the last time we signed a world footballer of the year. Yes, you know, you, you could almost say, you know, it was that that important. What he was doing sort of in the reserves at Milan, you know, God only knows. But for that brief period that he was with us, you know, he's only here for about a dozen games. You know, he he did have an impact, George, where, you know, and you know, no better impact, you know, than keeping sort of our record alive against Tottenham. Because I think I think on the night, I think they were the better side. I thought they dominated most of the game. You know, George Graham probably sort of like parked the bus, you know, probably bore the arse off us, you know. But, yeah, an amazing outcome to game. But the game did have a downside to it. Yeah. I don't know whether it was Viali's tinkering, you know, or rotation or whatever. But for some strange reason, bearing in mind he brought him off the bench in the previous game at the weekend against Bradford. So you can't say he was tired. He didn't pick Zola for the starting eleven. But he didn't put Zola on the bench either. And just, you know, an, you know, an hour before kickoff, the press picked up that Zola had literally walked out in a huff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he, he, he was pissed with Viali, so he didn't hang around to watch the game. He, he left the stadium and he was seen leaving the he, stadium. He did a Marcus Alonso. Yeah, he walked out. Yeah. And we'll talk about it when we review the season, but he probably wasn't the only player that fell out with Viali at some point during this season. Well, we will talk about that um, at the end of the the show, and I, I do think it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we've got we, we talked about it, didn't we? And, and I know you want to come in, Joe, and please do come in with the point that you want to make. But I want to kind of talk to you about this too, which is, you know, we talked earlier on about the fact that why are we surprised that we were doing so well in the Champions League? After all, look at how many big players, big world class players we've got. Well, with big players and big world class players come big egos who want to play every week. And I don't think it matters who's managing you. You know, it's going to cause ructions here, there and everywhere. And we've seen this far more, far recently, I think. But there you go, just something to think about. But what did you want to come in with, mate? Well, it was interesting, wasn't it, that he the, obviously Ware made an enormous impact and made you think what would have happened if they'd bought a, a better striker. Well, signed him instead of Sutton. Yeah, yeah. In, from yeah. the beginning of the season. I think Shevchenko, your answer, Shevchenko was keeping him out, I think, Mark, at Milan. But yeah, but... 
why because he was really a class act that the for anybody listening you've got no conception of, of of what kind of player he was i mean it's a good idea to have a look at some of these videos it big unit um very quick um very intelligent there's a um there's a lovely goal later on that we get that um i'll i'll mention when we get to it where he just you know you, you lukaku could take a few tips from me gets to the ball um uh, heads it straight back to uh, Poyet, who volleys the ball into the net. You know, it's that quick. It's that kind of stuff. And also himself, um, uh, a terrific first-time shot. Um, I mean, everything you expect from a really world-class, um, a world-class striker. Um, so it was the excitement of having him play and scoring was absolutely phenomenal. The the expectation in the crowd, the buzz of having Weyer playing was... Uh, was was tangible. It was just fantastic, and of course, some JT was playing in this game as well. Mozzie, I didn't. Re I missed that. Did I miss that? Let's have a look. I'm sure you're right, JK. Yep. Yep. There we go. Got to start. Yeah. Mm, interesting stuff. Um, I think you know it's, it's interesting. Isn't it? George Ware again. You know, for those who didn't watch him, he was he was an absolute brilliant player. I mean, there's a reason why he was, you know, he, he won the World Footballer of the Year. And he has so much class, so much intelligence. I'd say Drogba like, Chidge, Drogba like. Yeah, yeah I, th I see what you mean. But of course, you know, if you score uh, the winner against Tottenham at home with three minutes to go, you you, you absolutely get instant cult cult hero status. <laughs> you know, I mean, Biani Goldbeck as another example. Um, even Gallus before his, his, you know, lurch to the dark side uh, for that last minute winner he got. You know, that's what happens. And of course, you know, we're still very much in the Spurs never meet, never beat us mode. It's been 10 years, I think, since they've beaten us home or away by this time. So, you know, we're, we're perhaps more, we're perhaps more aware of the record than the players are and desperate for it not to go. So the fact that we're did this on his first game and as Mark said having literally flown into London that morning and had a nap on the way is just uh, I think seals it for me um we then play Leicester uh at home we draw 1-1 I mean interestingly Mark um you know with Weyer coming in it would seem and Flo scoring a lot of goals this season it would seem that Chris Sutton is rapidly becoming surplus to requirements but actually um he got a I, I the game's mixed up on this one, I mean, I've, I've just remembered from my notes. Those notes are for the cup game when we play Leicester later in the month. He doesn't play in the league game; he plays in the cup game. Well, yeah. let's talk about it anyway, because I mean, yeah. in, I mean, we drew one-one with Leicester. We then play Forest in the uh, fourth round of the FA Cup. We win two-nil. We draw with Villa at home. Uh, sorry, away nil-nil, and then we play Leicester. And by the way, before we talk about Sutton and that that cup match, we win two-one. By the way, against Leicester. This was the uh, the way a way a header in the point volley. That's ball. right. There's a lot going on in this match, but just quickly, um, we played the third round of the FA Cup in December this yeah. season, and of course that was because Man United were in the club FIFA Club World Cup. Yeah. Um, so every they they got they. I mean, this is what I can't understand because they got a, you know they they got let off having to go very controversially. So we always used to call it they went off for a nice holiday in Brazil for a month and warm weather training. Um, but but that that's why I could I mean I forgot completely but then I couldn't figure out why the FA Cup schedule had been moved forward given that Man United weren't going to play in it any idea? 
No, I, I don't know why the FA Cup started so so early because, as you said, United opted out. Yeah. So unless... they made the decision to opt out, though, wasn't it late late on that they decided to go? So did they shift it for United's benefit because they were taking part and then United dropped out? Yeah, I thought that's yeah. what happened. No, absolute wankers, the lot of them. Anyway, yeah. right, the Leicester game. Um, George Ware scored, obviously. But, Mark, Mark, you pick it, pick it up from where you thought you were, if you see what I mean. Yeah, no, uh, Chris Sutton, uh, probably one of his most popular moments in a Chelsea shirt with Chelsea fans. Because, obviously, George Ware's in the side now. So, we've got another striker. So, that puts pressure on Sutton. So, he's in and out of the team from here on in. Um, but there's a moment in the game, you know, early in the second half, like, we're 1-0 one, we're one up, I think, if I remember r- rightly, in, in, in the cup game. Uh, and like Leicester had a play playing for them. They, they had a bit, a few lumps at the back. You know, a guy called Jerry Taggart. But they had a guy called Steve Walsh, and Walsh and Sutton go for a fifty-fifty ball, and Sutton absolutely slams into Walsh, knocks him over, runs down the the wing, and he crosses for George Ware to score. Yeah, and like he got you know a really good ovation from the fans. Where shortly afterwards. Yeah, he gets substituted for Tori Andre Flo. And actually, he got a standing ovation from Chelsea fans that day. Mm. Yeah, because as we move into the latter part of the season, when he did play in remaining games, he seemed to play a lot with Weyer. They played as a two up front. And I think Weyer, and I hope because he is, you know, you know, state as a world footballer of the year, he brought out probably a better Chris Sutton than we'd seen earlier in the season. Yeah. Well, as JK was saying earlier, mate, you know, Sutton made his reputation on the SAS, didn't he, up at, at, at Blackburn? You know, Shearer yeah. and Sutton. So he clearly, he clearly liked to play as a, as a, as, you know, a two up front system, not up there on his own. So maybe, you know, a, 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 again, as I said, the parallels with this season are very, very spooky. But that classic example of buying a striker but not playing him in his best position or in the right system. Yeah, he's nodding sagely for those of you watching in black and white. Was that for me? I'm yes, so of course it was. Oh, I didn't realise. Sorry, I thought that was uh, thought Mark was good, or you just wanted to go on to something else quickly. Um, uh, I thought, in fact, what happened was that that uh, Sutton just became felt that he ought to try harder, and actually became much more competitive. That was my view, uh, and was happy to play. I think you're absolutely right there, Chidge. He seemed to be happy to contribute more than actually being the the out and out person who was supposed to score. A bit like Werner. Yeah, so I actually think that Weyer playing took a bit of a weight off his shoulders if he did come on because... He wasn't the main man. He wasn't the main man, mm. absolutely. And he consequently played better. Yeah. I mean, the other interesting thing is, you know, it kind of reminds me, not that we need reminding really, but as ever with Chelsea supporters and strikers and their, and their abject strikers, we, we give them unconditional support. Yeah. I mean, not once did he get, you know, too much shit for being rubbish at Chelsea. I mean, he's got a lot since then. But not at the time. We were behind him. We wanted him to do well, Mark. No, definitely. And and, and the same with his predecessor, Robert Fleck, as well. You know, Robert Fleck had a song named after him. Yeah. So and that that's my point about the romantic optimism. You, you want you want your strikers to be successful and get a lot of goals. Yeah. Why why would you not? They're playing for Chelsea. Yeah. So Sutton never really got a lot of stick, as you say. It's only afterwards, and you know, more so when he moves into punditry and you know, a bit like you know, former player Craig Burley just never seemed to have a good word to say about Chelsea. Yeah. Well, you can understand why. He had a torrid time there and it made him look, look stupid. So I can understand that. Anyway, anywho, uh, we go into uh, February. 
Uh, just checking that I haven't missed anything out on the way. Yes, I have actually. Bjarni Goldbeck uh, gets transferred to uh, Fulham for 650000 in the middle of the season. Talking of, uh, you know, cult, instant cult status for scoring against Spurs. We finish January 6th in the Premier League. We go into February with, uh, guess what? Another win against Spurs. 1-0 away. Bernard Lowe. Oi, 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 Bradford away. I missed Bradford away. I did ask if I... No, we did. We did Bradford no, away. We did, did Bradford away. We, that, that, yeah. that was at the beginning of uh, January. beginning yeah. of January. Well, I'm sorry. I wanted to talk about that. Well, you've got to hurry up, mate. Can't I better hurry up. Sorry yeah, about can't, that. Can't stand stand um, on ceremony here, mate. Um, I was there, and um, there was a lovely moment in the very beginning of the game where uh, Deschamps was done by Dean Windass. Um, uh, I mean, absolutely appallingly, and I actually thought. Uh, and when and Deschamps then didn't really want to play anymore in that game, and um, and I thought I don't think he's going to be with us next season, as a consequence of that one moment, of being brutishly stamped on and nothing happening, and uh, and had, having a slight confrontation with Windass, and Windass of course was the you know the darling of the Bradford crowd, and. Um, uh, uh, it was just that one moment of of clarity, just seeing it, there are some players who will not perform in the Premier League, just because of of they don't like the refereeing, they don't like where they are, they don't like the effort they have to put. And he didn't stop him from being excellent in the Champions League, but I never felt that he was the same player again after that for the rest of the season. Well, again, weird parallels here. In a sense, I'm thinking Jorginho, you know. Not necessarily a Premier League player. Excellent in the Champions League. Didier Deschamps, too slow for the Premier League. Not athletic enough for the Premier League. Needs too much time on the ball for the Premier League. Yeah. Put him in the Champions League and he's world-class, as, as he was. I mean, there's no doubt that Deschamps was a world-class player. Yeah. Even yeah. though Eric, Cant Eric Cantona called him the water carrier. Right. Yeah. But you need a water carrier. Otherwise, you don't have any water, Eric. It's pretty simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, good point, JK. Very good point. I uh, like that a lot. Anyway, uh, February, 1-0 against Spurs. Uh, Wimbledon, we beat them 3-1 at home. Um, you know, this was kind of a... This was a nut, nuts match. Uh, they went 1-0 up after 73 minutes. Uh, Poyo scores a screamer on 79. Weyer gets one on 79. And then Morris gets one on 90. But there was a lot more going on than that, wasn't there, Mark? <laughs> there was a, a punch-up in the tunnel... Uh, Viali gets a smack in the mouth from an unknown assailant. Do you know, do you, who, who's your guess as to who it was? I don't know. Was it one of his own players? Well, that's, that's what I was thinking. I, I, it's possible, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we'll come to it later because there ends up being an FA hearing about this you know, later in the season. But the fight starts between Dennis Wise and Wimbledon's Kenny Cunningham. You know, that's where the fracas starts. Uh, and it leads to sort of Chelsea and Wise being charged by the Football Association. But there was another thing happening this weekend, which I forgot to put in my notes. And when I saw it was Saturday the 12th of February, it reminded me. So, you know, for those of you in Mixler, if you haven't yet got a copy of Blue Tomorrow, I actually cover this season in great detail in my book. Uh, all very good bookshops and those Amazon people. Hang on a minute. So Hang on a minute. Why haven't I got a copy of that book? You mean to say you have not I have got not a got a copy. I thought I had every bloody Chelsea book written by you lot. You're kidding me. Yeah, this I wrote this book and this covers the ninety you know, ninety-nine two thousand season. If I had that, this show would be much better. Is it yeah. is that um is that Blue Tomorrow written by Mark Meehan? 
It is Blue Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah Blue Tomorrow, to written by Mark Meehan. Wow. And Blue Tomorrow, sung by Jonathan Kidd in the same season. <laughs> I'm feeling very left out here. Yeah. Well, I, I picked out a bit in the book because it just, when I saw the date, it reminded me, and I, I forgot, apologies, I didn't put this in its notes. Because when we were watching back the video and that brilliant Ray Wilkins commentary, he mentions that the hotels are open and the court hotel is open and we stayed in the court hotel. So part of the Chelsea Village vision was obviously the two hotels, which are still there to this day. The number of hotel rooms at the time was 291. And obviously, as everyone knows, we're 15 minutes from Harrods. So a great part of the Chelsea Village concept was to fill those hotel rooms. And what the club were hoping for was to get 200,000 non-football fans, you know, coming to Stamford Bridge on a regular basis. So that's about 4,000 people a week. You know, so you need 800 people a day, whether they're going to the megastore. So they need those 291 rooms full with visitors. I know they're getting a lot of traction now. They weren't when the hotel opened. Because um, I've actually written this in the book, and I'll read the bit from the book. This is a bit like the sleep out. Yeah. Um, and I, I spoke to a friend at the time who worked in sort of like corporate and training and hospitality. And I sort of said, well, actually, yeah, you're a Chelsea fan. Why is your firm not using the Chelsea Village Hotels for training and conferences? And his exact words were, look, Mark, after we finished our course or seminar, we want to hit the town. Drink a skinful, maybe pull a bird. Now tell me, what chance have you got of getting a shag in Chelsea Village? <laughs> so what do those clever marketing people do to try and fill that hotel on the weekend that had the 12th of February with Wimbledon at home. Well, bless them, the marketing staff at Chelsea Village came up with a Valentine's weekend special at the hotel. For £400 a couple, you got to stay in the hotel, have breakfast, dinner, champagne, and flowers in your room. And best of all, not a ticket to the West End <laughs> of the theatre. You've got a couple of tickets at Chelsea Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, they were a bit of a victim of the scheduling system there, I think, weren't they? I think, I think they were, yeah. Bless their hearts. That's brilliant, Mark. And I, I, if you've got any more copies of that book, I, I'm, I'm in the market for one, all right? Is that Blue Tomorrow by Mark Meehan? It is. It's Blue Tomorrow by Mark Meehan, available at oh, all good booksellers and good. some rubbish ones as well. And, I, if, if and if you are, if you are up for the Manchester United game at Old Trafford this season... And you walk down from Piccadilly Station and past the Piccadilly Tavern. There was a wonderful football memorabilia building, um, I think, called Empire something. And if you go into the basement, and it's still there, anytime in Manchester, I had a look for the Man City game, there's copies in there. No way. That's bizarre. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. All right, so next match was uh, Gillingham in the... Uh, now, this is interesting, actually. Quarter-final of the FA Cup. We're at home. Um, Gillingham, I, I think they were in League... Uh, well, Division Three, old money. Uh, so, I think they were, but they're, they're giant killed a couple. I mean, they'd beaten both Bradford and Sheffield Wednesday on their way to the quarter final. So, we were given a bit of a gimme here in many respects, and that's how it turned out. Um, Flo, uh, Weyer scored, Zola scored, Morris scored, um, but uh, so did John Terry, J.K. His first goal for the club in a, from a couple... Zola, co Zola corner from a Zola corner. Ghosts in, flicks into the corner. We've seen it many times. We have. Momentous day, JT getting on the score sheet when you consider he scored more goals than any other defender in the Premier League. 
yeah. I believe. So there you go. The first, even it wasn't wasn't the Premier League. That was his first goal yeah, for us. Yeah. We then play Watford. We went two one, and uh, lo, lo and behold, uh, Desai scores, smart equalisers. Then John Harley scores his first goal for Chelsea. So that's two debut goals from De Youth in the space of two games, and then we play uh, Olympic Olympique Marseille, uh, who uh, are opponents away in the Champions League stage two. Uh, we lose 1-0. Uh, and what, what irks me even more is it was scored by Robert Pires, later, uh, later of Arsenal. But the other thing that really had me thinking, Mark, talking about parallels, they had a Bakayoko and a Moses in their side. Well, did that, that Bakayoko ever give the ball away? Well, not, not that night he didn't because they beat us 1-0, but it's worth thinking about. Yeah, um, I wonder if it's any relation, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, yeah. who knows. And uh, anyway, so that that pretty much rounded up uh, January. We ended up fifth in the Premier League uh, that month. Now, we go into March and we uh, kick off a March with a 1-0 win up at Newcastle. Poirier scoring again. Uh, and then we have uh, Olympic Marseille back home for the Champions League match. Uh, Dennis Wise scores the only goal on a 1-0 win. Uh, then we have Everton at home, one all. Um, this was a bit of a weird one, wasn't it, Mark? What was going on with this one? It's, it's, it's a strange one, this one, because Wise is having a really good season. And I don't know whether it was trying to fit certain players in or it was rotation because we just had a couple of Champions League games and we had probably one of the biggest games at that point coming up away to final, who were a decent Dutch team at that time. But for some reason, Viali plays Wise right of midfield. And he puts Jody and Di Matteo in the centre. And although Wise is scoring this game, and as we said in tonight's show, he was having a great season. It just seems wasted out wide because that's where his Chelsea career started. But he excelled for us in the centre of midfield. And although you know we stayed in third place in the Champions League spot, it was another you know silly points, two points we dropped. We should we should have won that game. So, and he only did it once, Viali, but why do it at all? It was just, it was just a weird decision. Yeah. Don't, didn't make sense. Well, rotation would be his uh, argument. Uh, yeah. Now, next comes a game that most people, uh, you know, I, I would imagine a lot of people don't even remember. Um, I, I wasn't there, sadly, over in Feyenoord to watch this, but I, I watched it on the box, uh, listening, no doubt, to Peter Drury's effusive commentary. Um, but I, ha- I often say this. I might have even said it to Mark when I did the My Chelsea. But this is one of the best performances I've ever seen Chelsea play in terms of their performance, the kind of football they played. And I always take away from that that it was the o- it was one of the only times when I've seen a side do this, an English side do this. But they they played with English aggression and speed and power and all the things you associate with the English game, but with continental technique and uh, you know a very technical way of playing, very precise, quick passing. I just thought we were absolutely fantastic on the night. And we, we did win 3-1. Uh, Zola opened the scoring on 39 minutes. Uh, Kalou, no, not our Salomon Kalou, their Kalou on 59, equalised. Out of the blue, really. And then Wisey scored on 64. And then Flo on 69. Uh, LeBeuf had a penalty saved on nine minutes, so it should have been 4-1, really. But both Flo and Zola were on fire. Now, I never knew this because, of course, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't read Mark's book, uh, Blue Tomorrow, uh, available from all good uh, booksellers and some rubbish ones. If I had, I might have known this, but I didn't know about what you write in your notes here about a certain Johan Cruyff, an, an absolute hero of mine, by the way. Yep, and a hero of mine. I love Johan Cruyff, and I think I'm, I'm lucky 
I saw Johan Cruyff play three times at Stamford Bridge, you know, an amazing player, but he was in the crowd that night and this is what he said afterwards. Yeah, and it concurs with what you've just said, Chidge. I was very impressed with Chelsea. They have only one English player in their lineup, and they play a very English game. It was pressure, pressure, pressure. Very bold and very English for a team playing away from home in Europe. You would not see a Spanish side or Italian side playing that play that way. So although we had 10, you know, non-English players, they played, you know, yeah, in an English style of play and got praise from Cruyff who didn't always praise Chelsea fans, Chelsea sides down later years. Yeah, I mean, of course, the thing I'm most uh, delighted about is the fact that me and uh, the great Johan Cruyff clearly see eye to eye. I never really uh, thought I'd see the day that that would happen. But I, we were brilliant that night. And I think, in a sense, for me, that, 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 that highlights what we were like in the Champions League this year. I think we just hit a really high watermark with that particular match, even though, you know, you could argue that the AC Milan was better and the Galatasaray was better. I just thought the rhythm and the way we played that night was just unbelievable. Uh, of course, we followed that up. JK? Do you think that by then they'd thought the league's out of it? Let's not really put... Let's just tread water with the league. And Viali was, was picking sides that weren't going to pull any trees up because they were concentrating on the FA Cup and the Champions League. Do you think that was, that was what the policy was by then? But we got further into the season... They actually thought, well, you know, in a sense, is what's happening now again, isn't it really, with the league? It, it's just going to be, um, we'll do okay. We've got to qualify for the Champions League. That's all we need to do, finish top four. But the 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 trophies we have to pay attention to are the FA Cup, the Football League Cup and the uh, and the Champions League. Those are the three that the Was it the same policy? Do you think it was? It could have been. Game as it comes, but you wonder whether, because we were so far off it by now, well, it, it it could have been. I mean, if you if you look at the starting lineup against Feyenoord, I would say that's our strongest team. Absolutely. Other than the fact that Ambrosetti was oh he came on as a sub, so yeah, scratch yeah. that. So Dehoy, Petrescu, Babiaro, Frank Leboeuf, Marcel Desai, Didier Deschamps, Poyet or Poyet, uh, Dennis Wise, Di Matteo, Torre, Andre, Flo, Zola. Was well, by the way was way a cup tied? No, was, no, well I don't know if he was cup tied. He did his hamstring. He was out for a month. I think of course he was yeah. injured. It might have been yeah. around this time. So you'd have to yeah. say that from the, from the players that were available, you would say that that was our strongest side. So I think maybe there's some merit in that. Just looking at the West Ham game that followed that, which we drew nil-nil, are there any changes? And uh, Only a couple. Well, Poyet's not starting. He comes yeah. on in 65 minutes. Uh, Chappie Ferrer's in. Uh, Sutton came on. Jody Morris starts. So there's a few changes, but not... Morris Morris appeared to be a go-to for league for the league games, yeah. after, whereas he didn't play in the Champions well, League. Basically, Demateo came out, Poyet came out, and I mean you have to say <laughs> if you take if you take Poyet and Demateo out of most sides, they'd be weaker, wouldn't they? It's just undeniable. I'm afraid. But that's a strong side against uh, West Ham, and. I know when we talked about what Bates said at Club Call earlier, he, he made reference to the Champions League and the FA Cup. He didn't mention the league. But we were in fourth place. Yeah, yeah We were in touching distance of a champ. We were going back into the Champions League the following season, but by our league place alone. So, you know, we had a period of dropping a lot of silly points in the league. You know, we talked about Everton. We talked about the, you know, um, talked about the West Ham game. We talked about early defeats in the season. Two or three more points 
by the end of the season and we would have qualified for the Champions well, League. It, it is a bit weird, isn't it? And I wonder if it, it, it says something about the mentality of the club, as in maybe they didn't quite believe. I mean, if you think about it in, in, in today's context, um, you know, if you're not us, as in, you know, we're behind Liverpool and Man City at the moment, most of the teams below us, none of them really believe they can win the league, right? We yeah. believe we can win the league because we've been there, done it, and we're not afraid of City and Liverpool, but we're still in third place. So if you think about us then, we were probably more a bit like the teams that are kind of fourth, fifth, sixth at the moment. Well, it would be good if we could get, because of course in those days as well, you had to get top three to be in the Champions League because they hadn't expanded it to four, I don't think. Am I right? Yeah, we were punching above our weight, definitely. Or we thought we were punching above our weight, yeah. Yeah, but we had... maybe we thought we were still a cup side. Maybe that was the mentality in the club. We're a club, cup, we are a club side. We don't win the league. Remember, we hadn't won it since 1955. Could be. Yeah. Could yeah. be. Quite, quite, quite I, think, I think Hutchinson, when he in the video comes on and debates... What, you know, how well the club had done getting to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which we'll get to. Whereas I was thinking, no, 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 based on the way we played against Milan, our aspirations, it's good that we've got to the quarterfinals, but we, we should have been thinking bigger than that. That was my view, yeah. just because the, the players were so good. There were so many class players in that team. We should have, should have taken Peter Drury's advice. We're small, but we're big. But we're big. Exactly and that's, that. why, that's why the next game is so frustrating, because we were taking the Champions League seriously. And obviously, we go into the final group stage game. Yeah, against Lazio. Yeah. Yeah, this was really... I mean, this was disappointing for so many reasons, actually. I mean, that, as I said, don't don't you know be under any illusion... Uh, Lazio were not only a very good side if you look at the players they had but also they were managed by Sven-Goran Eriksson who was you know as it turns out wasn't quite, wasn't a bad manager but I think the thing that disappointed me most Mark was the fact that this was the first defeat we'd had uh, at home in Europe wasn't it I think 30 33 matches in 42 years unbeaten yep used to be a regular feature in the program for many 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 years they always used to list even back in the 60s Every time we had a European tie, they'd list all our previous European ties and our record. So, you know, we'd had 33 ties in 42 years and we'd never lost at home. And all we needed that night was a draw. And if we'd drawn that game, we'd have been seeded going into the quarterfinals. And obviously the top seeds ended up being the likes of Man United, Bayern Munich and Barcelona, who we later meet. And history does have a habit of repeating itself sometimes through the Champions League. Yeah, it's worked in your favour sometimes, it's worked against you. We finished second in the group stage and got Barca. If we'd won the group, I can't remember who we would have played, but we might have even got further than the quarterfinal. Very frustrating because we took the lead. And the other thing as well, again, you know, we put our strongest sides out in the Champions League, which we've said many times tonight. Again, for another strange reason, Wise gets rested. You know, this night of all nights, you know, so Wise didn't play. And Viali says afterwards... We missed Dennis's leadership on the pitch tonight. But why didn't you play him then, you twat? I said, why didn't you play him? But he needed to have a rest as he's played so many games lately. I do not regret my decision to leave Dennis out. Well, sorry, Luke, you should have done. We did. Yeah. We did. Definitely. Definitely. No need to rest Dennis Wise. He'll play all day for you. Yeah. I mean, the side, the side as it turns out, let's just having a look at it. Who did he pick? Ed DeHoy. Dan Petrescu, Celestine Barbiaro, Frank LeBeuf, Marcel Desai, Didier Deschamps, Gus Poy, Roberto De Matteo, Chappie Ferrer, Torre Andre Flo, Gianfranco Zola. Not a bad side, if, if the truth were to be told, Mark. 
Yeah. But it's, it's, not, it's not Ed the Hoy, it's Ed the Hooey. That, that's another ITV commentary one. Yeah, it's a load of Hooey. He was called that though, wasn't he? It's a yeah. load of old Hooey, if you ask me. Um, so, Inside. Mark, Inside. Mark yeah. who would you have taken out and put Wise in for? Okay, let's have a quick look at that lineup. Uh, Flo Zola. I would say it might sound harsh. If you're playing Albert Ferrer, you may not necessarily need Dan Petrescu as well. So I'd have probably tempted to go Poirier, Di Matteo, Deschamps and Wise. Mm. And Flo and Zola up front. Yeah, instead of who? Petrescu? Petrescu out. Ferrer, Ferrer will play right back. So mm. Petrescu would go out. Yeah, Yeah. there we go. So, I mean, I think what I'm trying to... I'm trying to be a member of the awkward squad here and say that's not actually a bad team. So... That's it's a good team. But yeah. you're right. You, you know, you need Wise. He was on fire in Europe that on season. Fire, absolutely. Yeah. He, he top cement for the midfield. His, he, his accuracy of pass and his, his really well-timed tackles breaking the, the, the game up were, were great. And his arriving in the penalty area for the odd goal was just terrific. And course, again, a few days later, Wise is back in the side against Southampton in a league game. Yeah, the Champions League at this point was probably more important. Yeah, and, and and of course we draw that one all again. Yeah. Another one after after the Champions League, we struggled to to get a decent result. And Wayne Bridge is playing for them. Is he really? No mm. shit. Seriously? Yep. Kinnell, mate, good spot. Good spot. He certainly is, isn't he? Yeah. There we go. And and knowing me, knowing you, Pahars. Brilliant. Can I just say that the Ed? I'm not sure whether you'd be allowed to do the Ed Dehoy chant anymore because it's um, it's um, what's Rock and Roll by Gary Glitter. Gary yeah. Glitter. Yeah. Ed Dehoy. We just have. He did look like a porn star, didn't he? Actually, Ed Dehoy. I kind of kind of like. She has that kind of you know that voice, the Dutch voice that they have. Big the big moustache that they've got a very big moustache. I have an enormous really. <laughs> okay, right. We end up being fourth in the Premier League by the end of March. We move into April and we travel up to uh, your favourite place in the world, JK. Dirty Leeds. Ooh. But Harley, John Harley scores his second goal for the club. A bloody and we good, won. Yeah, what bloody good goal. What, what, well, we, we, well, they, where did we get that performance from? Well, in you, the midst of it all. I'm one, yeah, I'm wondering actually where, where everybody was in the table. Leeds were second in the table at the time. Yeah. But, yeah. but they were 10 points behind United who were romping away with it at this stage. Um, but, 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 um, that that was really a, an hors d'oeuvre if beating Leeds away could ever be an hors d'oeuvre because uh, the next match at Stamford Bridge was arguably one of the most famous matches ever played at Stamford Bridge. I mean, having done all those My Chelsea's, this match, like, like the Liverpool uh, Cup match in uh, 98, uh, no, sorry, 97, get my dates right, you know, it, it always features, and if you were if you were lucky enough to be there, then this this match will live long in your memory, because it was the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinal against the mighty Barcelona, and what a match it was, Mark! It's probably the best eight minutes of your Chelsea footballing life. Amazing performance, I between the thirtieth and the thirty eighth minute. Obviously, Zola scores to put us in the lead. And like the ground erupts. Yeah. But then a couple of minutes later, it's two, then it's three. And you were just pinching yourself. This is this is Barcelona. You know, yeah, you know, they they were, you know, we talked about some of the other teams in the tournament earlier, like your Milan's and Lazio. This is a hell of a Barcelona side. You know, you've, you've got Frank De Boer in there, 
you've got Xavi in there, you've got Philip Koku, you've got Figo, you've got Cliver, you've got Poole, he's still there, Rivaldo, and you have Winston Bahada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this is quite important as well. And we'll talk about Bahada when we do next season, because um, obviously he comes to Chelsea, uh, which is the demise of Viali. But tactically, Chelsea targeted Bahada for this game. Yeah, which Viali admitted afterwards, they saw Bahada as the weak link in the Barcelona defence. Yeah, and they exploited that and like Flo's goals, you know, come, you know, by Bahada not picking them up properly. But those eight minutes, absolutely brilliant. And how, how I describe it is I was in the Matthew Harding upper that night. And the concourse on the Matthew Harding at half time was just incredible. The ground was rocking all round, you know, and I, I, I likened it in the book called Blue Tomorrow, which you can pick up at all very good bookshops. And <laughs> based Blue Tomorrow by Mark Meehan. Blue Tomorrow by Mark Meehan, yeah, 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 those good, yeah. Amazon people, yeah. I likened it to Mickey Fillory's halftime goal against Tottenham in 82. Yeah. Like a whole ground celebration. Yeah. We went in 3-0 up against Barcelona, and again, if you didn't believe then that we had a chance in the Champions League, at that half-time half point, the place was like buzzing. But you still have that sort of like, you know, glorious sort of like Chelsea fan when you're on the concourse, you know, where people start singing like, oh, we're going to win the Champions League. And people go, shh. <laughs> no, you're going to jinx us. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go that, wrong in the second half? That people actually saying, it could be six. I remember people saying, this could be six nil. We could beat them six nil. And then, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Realist here says, they only need one. All they need is one. It's always you, isn't it? It's it always I'm you. Afraid, I'm afraid it was me. Yeah. 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 Well, that's well, what happened, wasn't it? Figo, you know, you can see why they, they, they bought him. Yeah. He, he was superb against us in that second half. And, and unfortunately he gets the goal that proves very crucial when it comes to the second leg. But for that 45 minutes of football, and I put it in my Chelsea, and that eight minutes of those three goals, that probably was the moment of this particular season. And I include winning the FA Cup in that. It was an incredible moment as a Chelsea fan. It was a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere, wasn't it, Mark? It was absolutely incredible. And again, if people haven't watched it, if you can get the highlights of there, the noise coming through, IEV's TV coverage is incredible. And remember, we still didn't have the roof on the West End and you still had that level of noise there. Tremendous night, tremendous atmosphere, tremendous game. It was indeed. It's uh, one for the ages, that one. If, it, if that's not in most people's top 10 Chelsea games, I wanna know, I'm want to. i going to be asking questions and I want to know why. Um, the next match, uh, it's very small by comparison. It's just a you know run-of-the-mill FA Cup semi-final at Wembley against Newcastle United. Um what was interesting, actually, if you think about it, when you think about all the success that we've had now, or re- more recently, that was our eighth semi-final in five years, uh, JK. Yeah. You know, well before Roman turned up, when we didn't actually exist, if you remember. Exactly. Exactly. It's not it bad it. for a club that didn't exist at all, isn't it? it? We really? were great, considering that we, there weren't any of us there and it didn't actually happen. Um, uh, Newcastle were very good on the day. And... Um, uh, uh, we got a, 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 a terrific poet, um, got a half volley, volley thing, and make it. And I think we started off well, but then they slowly began to turn the screw, and um, they played better and better after one-one. And I was actually worried that we, that we were going to get swamped. And then poet from a Harley Centre 
um, had a terrific header and, and he man to man for the moment when a cometh the hour cometh the man fan, fantastic um, just extracted it and um, and we then um, immensely squeaky bum time just defended it for the next till I can't remember what stage the goal was scored but it was so against the run of play and they were very unlucky Shearer played out of his skin as did Rob Lee who scored their, their second goal sorry scored their first goal and um uh, we were fortunate to win that semi-final, um, but it was it became a very good defensive uh, um, showing from the side. Um, uh, what 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 was the, what was the team, Chidge? Did it um, was it a, 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 it wasn't similar to the Barcelona side? Was it? Well, I'll tell you, it, uh, it wasn't wasn't hugely dissimilar, but I think some key changes, which I'll talk about in a sec. Ed De Hoy, Frank Leboeuf, Marcel Desai. Uh, so the central defence is the same. Didier Deschamps, uh, Gus Poyet came in. He wasn't playing against Barcelona, weirdly. Chris Sutton was starting, so there's a problem for starters. Uh, Dennis Wise, Robbie Di Matteo, Chappie Ferrer, George Weyer, Franco Zola and John Harley. So, I mean... Weyer was, was back, of course. Yeah, so. Weyer was back. Yeah. So, I mean, not a bad week, though, really. I mean, that was, if, if you're talking about how this season went, I mean, again, this is, we will get to this at the end of the show because I, people I, I know will be saying, what are you fucking idiots talking about? We won the FA Cup this season. But actually, in many respects, that was the high watermark of, of, of the season, beating Barcelona 3 0 in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, and then the next match beating Newcastle 2 1 to get to another FA Cup final. It's like, you know, we're, we're top, we're the kings of the world here. There's nothing we can't do. So that's what I mean by a, by a high watermark. Um, we then... Oh, there was something about interesting about this match that you wrote down, Mark. Apologies yeah, for missing that. Thing I, I picked up. This is a lovely story. Um, obviously, when the players are going off, there's a Newcastle fan, and I do hope he's still got this. Newcastle fan called Tom Spooner. So, very sportingly, as the Chelsea-Newcastle players go, he, he's applauding Zola. And if you remember the old Wembley Stadium where the, where the tunnel was, Newcastle were down that end of the ground. Yeah. So, as Zola's walking off the pitch, he catches this Newcastle fan's eye. Uh, so he beckons Tom Spooner to throw down his own Newcastle shirt and Zola throws up his Chelsea shirt to him. So they swap shirts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So again, kiddies, you don't need to put up a bit of bloody cardboard you know, saying, can I have your shirt? Because you know what? Some of these professional footballers will you know, give you their shirt anyway without any prompt because that's the type of person they are. So fair play to Zola. You know, Tom, to his credit, you know, obviously when he was asked by the press, you know, would he be wearing the shirt? He said it, it was probably slightly on the small side for him. <laughs> old daughter, I think, was wearing the shirt instead. Yeah, kind of yeah. one belly versus five bellies, I suspect. But there you go. <laughs> um, the next match was home against Coventry, uh, which we won 2-1. Two, two, uh, fairly routine, really. Um, Jody Morris was made captain for this match. This, again, uh, Mark, in some respects, has parallels uh, with recent times. And Mason Mount was made captain, of course. But uh, Jody was, was absolutely over the moon, as they like to say in football parlance. No, uh, de- definitely. You know, uh, and he did it early in the season with Chris Sutton. So maybe there was some significance about key moments in the season, making certain players captain. Yeah. In his own words, to be told I was captain, I was buzzing. You know, I mean this. This is the team I supported as a boy. Yeah, you know, you know, the the kids, you know, grew up up the road, up the North End Road. So he he was a local lad. So the captain of his own team meant so much to him as well. I think the the other thing as well um, is obviously 
and shows what sometimes we know or we don't know as football fans. Um, obviously, Poirier's having a really good season and Viali substitutes Poirier in the second half and he brings on the Italian Ryan Giggs, which didn't go down well with the crowd. So, you know, people are, uh, are booing Viali. You know, the Italian don't know Ryan... what you're doing. Don't know what you're doing, Luca. He's only on the pitch four minutes. Ambrosetti, he goes down the wing, he sends his really low crossing, and you can see it in the video. It's meant for George Weir, but it gets put in by Colin Hen Hendry. You know? I thought that was uh, a brilliant dummy by Weir, actually. Oh, it was, was it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hendry puts it in. And now, for the remaining sort of like last half hour of the game, you know, and Ambrosetti didn't play many games for us, and obviously he got the goal you know, in hell. You know, Time and time again, he was up against Paul Telfer, constantly doing what a winger should do, endless runs, crossing, sending balls into the box and actually having chances himself. Like Zola gets the winning goal, but I think this this moment was really important for, you know, Ambrosetti. You know, this is probably his best appearance in a Chelsea shirt. I think the other thing about Zola, and we said it earlier, you know, this is only, I think, his second league goal of the season. The last one was back in August. You know, so he's banging them in in the Champions League, but he wasn't putting them in the Premier League. Big win that night, although it was Coventry City, because again, we're back in Champions League contention. We've gone above Arsenal. We're just behind dirty Leeds. We're in third place. Yeah. There's only a few games to go. We could still qualify for the Champions League. We are. Um, there was uh, something that happened the, the day after that match, Mark. That was... Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. I obviously, I mentioned it earlier when we played Wimbledon. Um, we, we, Wise and Chelsea came up before the F FA on a misconduct charge the following day. You know? uh, and obviously, you know, what Chelsea were basically saying and Wise was that obviously they expected Wise to be found innocent. A lot of paper talk about what actually happened in the tunnel. Nonetheless, Wise was still fined 7,000 for using insulting behaviour against Kenny Cunningham. But the FA did accept that Wise hadn't instigated the fight in the tunnel. Uh, referee Peter Jones actually sided with Wise and basically said no punches were thrown by Wise. He still got found you know, guilty with a 7K fine. The story said that what role Wise did play in that was he sprayed LucasAid at Kenny Cunningham because Cunningham had said that Chris Sutton was actually the father of the newly born Henry Wise. Unlikely, given the height. Well, well not, not just that. Unlikely, you know, because clearly Chris Sutton had been firing blanks on the seat. <laughs> 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 well done, Mark. Here we yeah. go. There we go. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, right, we follow that uh, win against Coventry up with a defeat to uh, Sheffield Wednesday with a Vim Vonk penalty. A Vim Yonk penalty. There you oh, go. Sorry, I should have mentioned this as well. The ironic thing about this day was the anniversary of Hillsborough. Oh, God, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, credit where credit is due. O on this particular day, and obviously it's been repeated many times since, you know, they always have a memorial at Liverpool, but they also do at Sheffield Wednesday as well. And I, I don't know whether um, Liverpool were playing that day, but there's a lovely story about Ken Bates uh, and one of the Hillsborough family members whose son had died was at the sort of minute silence outside the grounds and he got really upset, you know, and Bates sort of was there sort of like hugging him and looking after him, sort of like, you know, fair play to Bates, you know, yeah, that was a real classy touch by him, you know. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. (laughs) It's all too much. (laughs) I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Ginge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper chels. Um, yeah, Liverpool weren't playing that day, actually, Mark. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe no, they, they weren't. The they weren't. Yeah. They weren't. Oh, that that would that would certainly explain it as well. Then why why particularly? I'm trying to find like. Um, did they? Did they? I'm, I'm just trying to remember. Was that not quite a regular thing that that Liverpool didn't play on that day for quite a while? Did they? Possibly. Yeah. The, the guy, um, Bill Pemberton, his son Roy was one of the '96 that died that day. Yeah. And he'd laid a basket of red roses in his son's honour, but it got too much for him. So Bates leans forward and hugs him. Oh. You know, really nice, nice touching gesture by Uncle Ken. Okay, Captain Bird's eye wasn't as bad as he was painted. Clearly. Yeah. Right, uh, then uh, we have now have coming up the return leg of the uh, Champions League quarterfinal against Barcelona, um, which turned out to be an absolute nightmare. Um, I mean, we could spend two hours just talking about this game, really. I mean, JK, one of my memories about this game, I wasn't there, sadly, but um, I remember before it even kicked off, they had this very ominous kind of banner, didn't they? You know, You know where they have that? In the seating, they've got Mesque un club. They had under that it had two nil. In a great kind of mosaic, two nil. They're always doing that. They're always prophesying the score. Weren't they? they knew that. Well, you know, that, I think what they were saying was, "We only have to beat you by two nil, and we yeah. go through." I, I mean, I said this to you before we went on air, but I've got it. I can't remember where I heard this from, but an inside source, an insider said, and this was around the time that 
half the Chelsea players, I think it might have been a player, actually, but they they were literally shitting themselves before they went on the pitch. So nervous were they. You know, you get the shits when you're... I mean, you know, you, you've, you've performed on the stage, as have I. Darling, um, I've... I've shat on the stage. You've shat on the stage, but you were asked, you were, you were paid to do that. There's the difference, you know. <laughs> but, that you know, we know what stage fright can be like. I mean, it's a very real yeah. thing and the adrenaline kicks in and it can actually make you ill. So I think that's quite feasible because, my God, they certainly played like it, JK. Well, uh, the story I heard was that he actually um, encouraged them to defend and not to attack. And uh, and then he took responsibility for it after the game, Fiali, um, because they were were a, a shadow of the team that played against uh, against them at the bridge, um, and yet we still managed to almost win it. I know. Um, and with the seven minutes to go, after after the mistake by the goalkeeper and allowing Flo to be, I mean, unbelievably accurate as usual, got the ball edge of the penalty area, fired it into the corner um, to make it two one. Um, we thought uh, there is this bizarre possibility, having been completely under the cosh for all the game, uh, that we were going to win on the away goals rule. But, uh, but it was not to be. It was, uh, I was in the, um, they, they still have this, this terrible uh, policy of putting all the away fans miles up in the, in the, the ceiling. So you can hardly see what's going on. It's like Newcastle, it's like watching ants. But um we were strangely optimistic after the flow goal because we just thought, well, you know, we've been, they've only scored two. Will they score another one? And unfortunately, uh, unfortunately they did. So we got the tactics wrong and defended. But if you say there were mitigating circumstances and they were all very scared, it would make sense as to why there was so much panic because they gave the ball away an enormous amount. You know? I mean, you know, who who knows if that's true or not? It's it's one of those kind of, <clears throat> you know, rumours that, that go around. We weren't there, so we will never know. But they did look leggy. They looked, they did look tired. They did look nervous. Um, I mean, they, they kind of a bit like rabbits in the headlights, I thought. I mean, Flo was the only, you know, shining light, I think, for us that night. And I mean, as you said, I mean, Mark, 2-1... Flow scores, you know, we're going through. And there was half hour to go. So you're still thinking that's a hell of a long time to hold out against what was a rampant Barcelona side. But even when they scored again to make it 3 1, we're, yeah. we're, I mean, that takes yeah. into you know, extra time. time. Yeah. But we were seven, it was minutes, seven minutes to go, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, it was seven minutes to go. You know, we, we, and, and when Garcia makes it 3 1, and then obviously Babiara gets sent off, you know, and then obviously they win it in extra time. But so so close, you know. Seven and that was an absolutely superb Barcelona side. The other thing to add as well is like there was ninety-seven thousand in the new camp that night, ninety-seven thousand, and only seventeen hundred tickets Chelsea got. And this is one of the rare occasions when good old Elizabeth Duff Travel sold out. You know, this was a hot ticket, and people just couldn't get hold of a ticket because. You think now the whole debate's about virtual waiting rooms and getting tickets for games, etc. We only got seventeen hundred tickets, and unless you travel with the club, you didn't get a ticket. Why do we so, have such a low allocation? I, I think back then, I think you know Barcelona, you know they'd fill their stadium every week because there's no tradition in Spain other than the big clubs of away fans going to games. Yeah, so it's pretty much. But why, know, why didn't you? Why don't you UEFA stipulate a certain amount of away fans? I thought they do. They do that now, don't they? They do that now, but I, I don't know where they did that time. We actually only got seventeen hundred tickets. Uh, you had to travel with the club to go. 
the tickets, yeah, unlike other European games when we played Feyenoord and Lazio and Berlin earlier in the competition, no tickets went on sale as season ticket holders or club members. They didn't put them on that sale. You, you had to go through Elizabeth Dove travel. And in earlier parts of the season, they never sold out because everyone was traveling independently then. So what happened on the night was you had lots of people who traveled under their own steam. And I know loads of people that went out there. And the going rate then, it was £100 a ticket you know, from touts to get into that game. And a lot of people got into the game, but they bought their tickets from touts. Mm. There was hundreds of Chelsea fans that bought tickets from touts that night. So we probably had over 2,000 there, but 1,700 officially. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's there's so much about this match. As I said, we could take two hours just talking about it. A couple of things I want, want to pick up on. I mean, you know, Baba gives away that penalty, uh, the second penalty, which kills us really, and I mean him getting sent off kills us really. But I, I, I don't know who the reports from. I'm reading one of the newspaper reports here, just whizzing down to see if it'll tell me. No, it won't. But what they say about it, of course, I now lost my place. Here we go. Chelsea's brave but ultimately naive challenge was over, basically when Babiero dismissed. I like that brave but ultimately naive challenge, and I think that naivety kind of says it all. The other thing I want to pick up on. Given that Barcelona had two penalties in this match and we had a man sent off, uh, the referee was none other than Anders Frisk. Mm. In a Barcelona match. It's a bit like me, the 14th Duke of Wyborn, in a girls' dormitory. Mm, Anders <laughs> Frisk in charge of a Champions League quarterfinal with Barcelona against Chelsea. Are they mad? <laughs> I mean, it is, isn't it? He, he only refereed Chelsea five times as a referee in the Champions League. Yeah, interestingly, he refereed the first game, the Milan game, yeah, at the bridge, yeah, but yeah, he only refereed us five times, uh, and twice was a Barcelona Chelsea game, both at the New Camp. And you think the number of times in that six-year period that we were in, you know, in the Champions League playing games, you know. And he only refereed us on those few occasions. Yeah. And of I think the policy at the time, wasn't it, for the refs to do home and away, yeah. if I remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, he turns up again, doesn't he, a few years' time and has a, has a bit of a, an issue with, uh, with Mourinho when, uh, um, oh, God, I'm having a brain fart. Who was the Dutch manager of Barcelona? Oh, Rijkaard. Thank you. Rijkaard. Yeah, when Rijkaard storms into his dressing room and Mourinho takes umbrage and it's all enemies of football and all that kind of malarkey. Remember that? That's for another show. We'll hold that thought until then. Um, I think the bottom line was, I mean, it's such a really weird mixed emotions. I mean, how did you feel, JK, at the end of the match? Gutted, I would have thought. Um, Sort of resigned, you know. I didn't think we were going to do well there um, just because of their reputation. Um. So I went with hope rather than uh, I mean I've been to lots of Chelsea matches with hope rather than well no with a with a uh, uh, that's the wrong expression it's just with hope knowing that um, the likelihood would be that we weren't going to come away with a result so um, I didn't want us to get humiliated and in the end we slightly were because um, it was five one on the night because they uh, after Babiaro went off I think they scored another two didn't they they'd already scored them with the penalty um so there was a, a, a great feeling of deflation um uh and and also i i, I was upset with uh, with viali because i felt he got the tactics wrong um um 
but I was upset with Viali a lot during the season generally because uh, I felt we had a really smashing side, a fantastic side. And um, uh, I felt with the quarterfinal, we, we could have gone further than the quarterfinal. And I, I, but I, I traced it back, as you did, to the, um, the Lazio game, the losing to that, because I think we could indeed have had a better route through. Mm. Might have avoided because we'd have been seeded. Um, and I similarly don't think that he, he got that right. Um, I'm sorry to be so critical of him because he, he 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 had moments where you thought actually he's he's selected the right side. I just felt the selections were. I mean, uh, uh, it, it, as we were saying, it, it, it's very similar to now. Huge number of of matches, um, and um, I I I just felt that he played the wrong players. But we're not. How are we to know what was going on in the training ground? How are we to know whether he'd alienated any of them? Um, it it's it's just. You know, you you observe and you just think I would have played him because he, he, he's better for this competition. Uh, I would have played a different way against Barca, but um, in the end, we're not managing Chelsea, so uh, you just have to accept that um, probably on the night they were the better side. But yeah, I came away thinking, um, if only, if only we'd managed to last those seven minutes towards the end there. You know, you know, in in mitigation. <sighs> pains me to say it but uh that barcelona side were not quite yet the side they that, that we then saw when messi turned up and they became almost unbeatable yeah, yeah. but they weren't far from it and i mean united of course beat them didn't they famously in the semi was it the, it was the quarter final i think wasn't it the year before in the champions league because uh, they played Ju- juventus in the semi didn't they mark you're the brain brainiac here yeah, yeah 99ers and United did the treble. Yeah, yeah. so I think that I think United have beat them in the quarterfinal the year before. So they weren't they they were beatable, and we proved that in the first leg. I mean, I, Mark, I I was gutted actually because I I just you know I I was you know riding on the crest of a wave of that dream, and I thought that three one was you know we we still had a good chance of going through, and 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 I I was just so, I mean. It's kind of like really weird, isn't it? Because in some respects we capitulated totally. Let's not forget we got humped five-one. But on the other hand, as you as as we've been saying, we were we were seven minutes from going on to the semi-final. So I, I was sitting in this kind of weird emotional state of like really upset because we got humped, but like really gutted because we were that close. It it was so disappointing, and it showed how how quickly we'd arrived in the Champions League from that start of the season. You know. Oh, we've got AC Milan. Oh, yeah, we've got the right to be here. We adapted to it so quickly that we went so far, probably further than anyone. We went through two group stages and we didn't play any mugs. You know, we played some very good teams. We were up against Lazio, we were up against Feyenoord, you know, we were up against AC Milan. And having got that far to be 3 0 up at half time, you know, you just thought, wow, we could make the semi finals. But that Glorious unpredictable at Chelsea, Barcelona come back. And then to pull it back, not playing well under the cosh when Flo scores, you think, yeah, we just might do this because you're thinking they need to score two to win this. And then to lose with seven minutes ago was just a killer. And then the, the other thing is, yeah, they were a growing Barcelona side, but they weren't the Barcelona side. And they got knocked out in the semifinals. Who knocked yeah. them out? Valencia. Valencia, of course, because it was the Valencia-Real Madrid final up in Hamden Park, wasn't it? Uh, Paris, the final was. was. It? Oh, I got the wrong year. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the other thing as well, harking back to our good friend, Mr. Frisk, I just checked what other game he refereed. He also refereed the Monaco game 
when Monaco had what looked like when we were 2-0 up and then they made it 2-1. And then they got that goal in injury time in the first half. It looked like handball. Ibrahim Barr never was a goal. He handballed it. He handballed it. I could it. tell you that categorically, even though I was in the shed end that night and about 100 yards away. He handballed it. I could see it. I could see it clear as day, mate. Frisk was referee. Yeah, he's dodgy as fuck, basically, isn't he? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, I mean, one day a book will be written about the a huge amount of corruption in European football in this era and up to present day, you know. And I mean, we all, I mean, you know, I, I remember growing up, uh, I, I remember as a very small boy, Brian Clough absolutely just doing his nut about the the cheating and the corruption of Juventus when Juventus knocked Derby County out of the out of the European Cup in the semi. Forest uh were I mean it was proven wasn't it that uh, the referee took bribes Forrest got beaten by Anderlecht didn't they yeah. and then there, if if you I mean much as it was funny for us lot if you ever watched Leeds versus Bayern Munich in the European Cup final 1975 and that I think that referee was proven to have accepted bribes I mean disallowing a clear goal uh and uh, all sorts of shenanigans going on so these are facts so why, why shouldn't it have carried on and when you look at that like like we I forgot completely about that Mark and you look at that and you just think well, you know, maybe, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Hey-ho, enough of that. Enough of the tinfoil hat-wearing brigade that I am the honorary commander of. Anyway, um, next match, uh, Middlesbrough at home. Bit of a come down, really, but we got a 1-1 draw. Mick, uh, Mario Melchior uh, made his debut in that match. Um, and then we've got Man United away. This was a massively frustrating match for me, Mark. It was also Dan Petrescu's final appearance we lost 3-2 I've got a feeling we should never have lost it really York scored on 10 minutes Petrescu 22 Zola 36 so we were 2-1 up uh, and then Solskjaer the, scored one on the 39 York goal of course was um, uh, De Hoy hitting it against his back and it yeah. going in. Dwight York the king of pornography anyway can I just make a point about De Hoy I felt he was a little bit um, incos- inconsistent yeah. as a goalkeeper I agree what was that goal? I can't remember what match it was now, but he literally palmed it right into the path of somebody to score. Can you remember? Any any of you remember yes, that? Yes, yes, yes. It was um, uh, it was a terrible error, wasn't that it? Was Barcelona game. One of those was Barcelona. I, I think. think it might have been what the second leg. Yeah, the second leg. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a bit up and down, wasn't he? But I mean, Kudas comes into his four, doesn't he? The next season. But there you go. Uh, Mark, um, tell me about the Man United match. Very frustrating, right? They've only won the league. You know, they've yeah. won the league. They're game on the beach. Play. Yeah, they're on, they're on the beach. You know, we end up losing 3-2. And perhaps, you know, a signal of things to come, maybe. Viali not happy. This is what he said. In the final months of the season, I have to see who wants to stay at this club. Who wants to make this club successful? Who wants to die on the pitch for this club? And who doesn't? The last three matches are important. There are nine points available. We have the FA Cup final, and I'm sure all the players will want to play in that. I'm not threatening anybody. But. But. <laughs> yeah. And then he's asked about his own future. My future? I don't worry about that. I was given the opportunity to be the manager. One day, I might be fired. But all I can do is my best for this club. If my best is good enough, then okay. Otherwise, they will find someone else. Almost writing his own obituary at Chelsea Football Club as a manager. And, at and that it, point, it just and it just seems utterly mad to think about that when Chelsea just got to the quarterfinal of the Champions League in their first year in it, where 
about third or fourth in the league. So it was still to play for. Okay, we just lost against United, which we shouldn't have done, arguably. But, you know, no great disaster to lose to the champions. Um, And we're in an FA Cup final. It's kind of, I mean, I and I think this is what really points to what we've all been alluding to all night, which we'll, of course, we'll get onto in the next uh, 50 years show. It just shows you, I think, how much was bubbling along underneath the surface with this yep. club at the time. Player, dis, you know, player power, player uh, disaffection, you know, all that going on and, and, and Viali not really being able to, to handle it. And of course, JK, as we've known from previous shows in the Viali era, he I think always found it very difficult to be the manager as opposed to being one of the boys you know when when he was in the team when he wasn't the manager he was one of the most popular players in the dressing room he was one of the lads he was really well loved I think he found it he always found it really hard to to make that jump and to distance himself from the players and maybe he did it in a way that really pissed them off and that led to the to the fracas that we're seeing underneath Perhaps he was a very bad man-manager. Perhaps they resented his discipline over somebody who'd been their mate. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's the normal yeah. uh, course, isn't it? Yeah. Is you, you have somebody being over-disciplined, over-disciplining in order to make up for the fact you were their friend and they feel let down. They feel um, uh, that you've somehow... Not betrayed um, in a way. Betrayed their friendship. Exactly yeah. what I was about to say. Yeah, and I think I think that he had great difficulty with that. Yeah, I do. I do indeed. That's it, Mark. There's a book, really, a proper book, really waiting to be written. I think about that Viali era. I mean, I know you lot. You're only, you're still in the 80s at the moment, but when you catch up, I hope I'm still alive by the time you've caught up. That's all I'm saying. Well, I know Chris Wright did his book on, but on Chris's was Hoddle. much broader, wasn't it? it was much broader. He did Hoddle. He did Hullet and he did Viali and the important role those three play. But you're right, you know, but I, I'd like to think, you know, there's a book called Blue Tomorrow, the football climate <laughs> and future of Chelsea Football Club. You know, I, I think... <laughs> who wrote, who wrote that one, Mark? Who wrote that one? Sorry, Jonathan? Who wrote that one? Was it Mark Meehan? I think it might have been. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. Fine. Empire, you know, Empire Publishing, you know, I, I do cover the 99-2000 season in it, but I also cover the following season with the departure of Mr. Viali, which we'll cover on another I've got, show. You've got to get me a copy of this book, by the way. <laughs> I promise you I'll get you a copy of this book. All right, mate. And I'll get Jonathan a copy as well. I promise you both that. Oh, you dear man. And they have to be signed. And I'll sign them as well. All my Chelsea... I mean, I'm so, I, I mean it's kind of funny because you will write them. I, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't written one yet, but I, I, I tell you what, I value so much all the books that I've got written by you lot and they're all signed. I, I don't know. I, I get such a buzz out of that. I tell you, you know, such well, a fanboy. I, I a copy because I think when we did the My Chelsea, I thought you made reference to it and I'm, I'm, so I thought you had a copy. So, nope. yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I'll sort copies out for you. Honest to God, I didn't even know it existed until you told me tonight, but there you go. Really? Yeah. You're not really Chelsea fanzine called CSUK that closely because the bottom note you, oh, come on Mark everybody, there are people who are yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest who know that the only article I read in CFCUK is the one I write yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's to check to see what DJ's cut out <laughs> anyway anyway we move on right uh, we've got a few more games left in the league uh, the next one after the United defeat uh, is at Liverpool at home. I'm delighted to report that uh, we won with a George Weah goal on two minutes and Robbie Di Matteo on 14. Um, it was Chris 
Chris Sutton's final appearance, so it was something to celebrate, that's for sure. Um, it's really interesting, actually, because, I mean, you know, it was kind of weird. I mean, it was, a, it was a good performance, really, and it did narrow the gap to, 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 to Liverpool with two games remaining, but it kind of didn't... F- I don't know. Normally, beating Liverpool 2-1 would give me massive satisfaction, but it didn't really feel like it, JK. No, it... it, it... You'd have thought this would have been a great moment. I just think it was a bit the, season. the Lord Mayor's show, wasn't it? Yeah, the season was was slightly unraveling as a consequence of the and it had been long uh, and yeah, yeah. Of it didn't give me the same stiffy that you'd have thought I'd have got from from this. So, um, but yeah, it's always joyous beating Liverpool. But no, it sort of just slipped through, didn't it? Really, it did a bit. Uh, I mean, how about this though for a run of games? I mean, Barcelona quarter-final of the Champions League, Middlesbrough at home, don't worry about that. And then you've got Man United, Liverpool, and then Arsenal as our last. Talk about a run-in from hell. Uh, we, we, of course, you know, obligatory that we lose to Arsenal away. Henry scored both goals, Poyet scored ours, and Brissetti's final appearance. And then our last match in the league this season was a romping 4-0 win against Derby County with uh, Zola, Poyet, Di Matteo, and Flo all scoring. Um and our final position in the Premier League was fifth, which was two uh, two places shy of getting into the Champions League. So that consigned us to UEFA Cup football the next season. Which you know, let's be honest, having experienced what we had in the Champions League was a bit of a bit of a letdown, really. Um, but of course, there was one more match to go, which is only the 2000 FA Cup final at Wembley, the last one to be held at the old Wembley. Uh, which was against Aston Villa, of course. Um, before we talk about what happened, uh, let's hear from Mark on his his day at Wembley. We're back at Wembley again. It's an FA Cup final. Were you on TV this time, though? I wasn't. No, I didn't. Slipping. Yeah, very disappointing that Davina didn't have me on the big breakfast. Hang on, hang on. Did you do an FA Cup song, JK? Uh, yes. Ah, it was called um uh isn't it the same title as your book it is mark Meehan's book blue tomorrow yes it's called blue tomorrow yeah, yeah your book yeah so was the title of this one and it wasn't sung by suggs um it was uh, sung by a a very nice guy whose name um uh, um something like danny blue his name was which was interesting it wasn't his real name um funnily wasn't enough. he called danny uh, uh no i don't think he was actually clever chidge clever funny <laughs> Funny, very good, very good. It's not bad uh, after nearly three hours, mate. I can tell very you. Good, and, and I'm going uh, uh, um, Chelsea, 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 and you can hear me if you listen to it. My, that particular tone of me doing it, play it, find it, and it, and it whenever it gets it sounds to, like the same it, as the Chelsea. Suggs one. Yeah, funnily enough, it's very similar. <laughs> I did, I did the Chelsea, Chelsea on the Suggs one as well. Chelsea, Chelsea, gonna make it a blue day. This simile was <laughs> I think possibly because it sounded a little bit similar to the previous one, let's be honest. So but yeah, yeah. So I went in and um did my bit the day before, and then they played it all to the uh, the Chelsea players who tried to put their bits in and they used a lot of uh, what me and uh, a couple of other mates did. So there you go. So you know, you're slipping, Mark, because you weren't on TV with uh, the lovely what's uh, Davina McCool, and uh, yet JK's keeping the end up by being on yet another. Uh, Chelsea FA Cup song. But anyway, let's return to your day, Mark. Yeah, we, we met in the Middlesex Arms in South Ryslip, which actually Mr. Worrell and Jeff Warren, who organised our cup final drink up last season, might be the location for a pre-match drink this year. 
Oh. So we might want to get the fan cast people out on the Chiltern line to South Ryslip and the Middlesex line. Okay. Where is where even is South Ryslip? You, mean, you don't know where South Ryslip is? Well, not really, no. Oh, you need to get out more, Church. It's West London. Isn't yeah. it down the central line? It's on the central line, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's in the yeah. arse end of nowhere, mate. What are you talking about? No, it's on the central line and on the Chiltern line. So you can come out from Oxford Circus or you can get the Rattler out from London Marylebone. And there's a pub there called the Middlesex Arms where we might be drinking before this cup final later this month. Okay. So we met there. It's only a couple of stops, about eight minutes to Wembley. Chelsea back at Wembley. But it wasn't a great cup final, a poor first half. I thought Villa were very boring. They made no poor, effort. I think poor. Gregory might have been their manager. Yeah. But I don't normally bet at football. But for some reason, I was tempted by Dennis Wise's, you know, first player to score odds of 20 to 1 and Chelsea to win 1-0. I couldn't resist. So I put a £5 note of the Queen's good money on. And lo and behold, early in the second half, and you'll see it when you get to the end of the video, Dennis Weiss does score. So for a brief moment in time, I'm a £100 richer. Yeah. So if we end up winning 1-0, that is, and I'll be going back to the Middlesex Arms buying drinks for everybody. But sadly, no. There was a referee called Graham Pohl who disallows the goal. And then... For what ref- reason, though? Offside, but you look at the line there. And yeah. Weah is way out on the right-hand side. I think it's because they were applying the old law, weren't they? Anybody who was offside was offside. But the song that echoed around Wembley, do you remember the words and the lyrics to the song? Oh, Graham Paul is a fucking arsehole. That one. There you go. Yeah. There you go. But then, obviously, um, Di Matteo pops up uh, on the 72nd minute. We, we, we only had to wait 43 seconds. First time at Wembley, we had to wait a bit longer this time. I don't think there was any way back um, for Villa in that game. They lacked ambition. Mario Melcher had a stormer in only his fifth game for Chelsea. Uh, got man of the match, in my view. So, having won the FA Cup once in our first 90 years of history, we've now done it twice in four seasons. And as much as the final wasn't great in the last one at Wembley, it was probably the second longest celebration afterwards with Chelsea fans and players. After the 97 one. Not as long, but longer than anyone else. Dennis took his kid up to, uh, to Henry, receive, yes. receive the FA Cup, yeah. and um, uh, who must now be 22 at least. And, he's at Watford, um, isn't he? Is he playing? Oh, he's at Watford. He plays. Watford, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, good for him. But I remember thinking it, it was frowned upon by the powers that be, of course, that he'd taken his child up there. And children were then banned from being taken to receive trophies. I, I... But the story doesn't end there. The following day, I didn't get invited onto the big breakfast, but I got invited to this civic reception where Chelsea celebrated the FA Cup. And I was lucky enough um, to obviously have free drink and free food and lig it with all the Chelsea players afterwards and celebrating the FA Cup. And what I found interesting, which will lead us on to the summary and reflection, we've won the FA Cup and you're absolutely buzzing. No matter the quality of the game, we've won the FA Cup. As a fan, you're celebrating the players are there. The only two players that seemed relatively happy we'd won the FA Cup was Mario Melchot, who was just a joy to spend time in his company. Five games in, and he was showing me his FA Cup winner's medal. And Graham Lasso who was injured and didn't play, but he was still delighted that Chelsea won the FA Cup. 
I spoke to Desai, I spoke to Zola, I spoke to Petrescu, I spoke to Leboeuf, I spoke to Di Matteo. They did not have a good word. You think they'd be happy we won the FA Cup? It was almost like being at a bloody funeral. Yeah. They were not happy, and most of their unhappiness was directed at the manager. Luca, I have to say, he looked absolutely shattered. Yeah, absolutely shattered. And how I likened it, um, and ironically, yeah, you know, I had lunch with Eddie Nisvecki last week. The first time I met Luca was with Eddie Nisvecki in a pre-season friendly. And that buzz and excitement of Luca joining Chelsea. And it's only a couple of years on and how tired and exhausted Viali looked still having won the FA Cup final. And my heart really went out to him, you know, you know, because I'm thinking, I'm a fan. We've won the FA Cup. This is brilliant. This is fantastic. He's delighted as the manager after the longest season in our history, but looks shattered as because of it. But half the players just were as miserable as sin. Didn't even feel like celebrating winning the FA Cup. Yeah, they're almost like you're, you're at a party having the time of your life and they're the ones sitting in the corner nursing a pint all evening. Um, Mark, I mean, absolutely astonishing uh revelations and insight there i'd had no idea that you'd been at that i was just kind of thinking i'm just, i'm gonna go back to what i said earlier i wonder if you know for the kind of players that you're talking about you know we're talking about a champions league hangover here i think they they kind of really believed they were good enough to win the champions league so and remember then you know they're not, they're not english so you know even though they were very ecstatic to win the fa cup you know in 97 they were still kind of it was like you know a bit like Johnny J.K. and I was saying a minute ago after the Lord Mayor's show that it wasn't it was no consolation for them to win the FA Cup, having been dubbed by Barcelona and having felt they were good enough to get there. Maybe, maybe I'm being kind on Viali. Maybe actually it was all just down to the fact they hated Luca by the end of it. But I just wonder if there's also a bit of that going on as well. Maybe we'll never know. Well, we might do. Is it down to team selection most of the time? Do you think the fact that people were being marginalised, the fact that uh, ultimately this was Dan's last season when he played out of his skin when he played. And they probably knew it. And they knew it, yeah. So therefore, perhaps if, if he was a favourite, they're, um, they're already expressing their displeasure. Um, and uh, and uh, it may have been, he, he, he'd made too many enemies by then. And it was, it was then symptomatic of the fact that he, he, he was dismissed so early on in the season, the following season, because he didn't rectify the situation. Well, it's interesting to see who played, isn't it? De Hoy, Babiaro, Leboeuf, Desai, you'd expect them to play, and Deschamps, Poyet, Dennis Wise, Robbie Di Matteo, Zola, you know, George Ware, I suppose. But, uh, you know, you've got Mario Melchior in there. Um, I mean, he's the only one. Melchior really is the only one that you wouldn't have expected to start. So I wonder if he started. I mean, he probably started instead of Pet Rescue, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. And Emerson Tome, Emerson Tome had made a very big, big um, contribution and then obviously wasn't going to get selected once Desai and, and um, LeBeuf were paired together. Uh, uh, Morris similarly had contributed. Did he, Flo, he, Morris, did Flo, yeah, Flo got on on 88. And, did he uh, got on later, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, Morris, Morris on 90, so... Yeah, yeah, they were clearly being given a run out. Um, he rewarded them. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. JT and John Harley were on the on the bench, didn't get on. Yeah, but they they got medals. They were they are happy as Larry. They you got know. medals. Yeah, they, they got medals. Like yeah, that the if if you divide it into two camps, the happy players 
you know, George Ware, Flo, John Terry, John Harley, Ed DeHoy, Celestine Babiaro, Dennis Wise, Gus Poyer, and Mario Melchot was the happiest of them all. Yeah, there was no happier player in the place that Sunday afterwards than Mario Melchot. Your fifth or sixth game for Chelsea, and you've got a cup winner's medal, is what he kept saying. The unhappy players, you know, were the birth Desai, Deschamps, and Robert Di Matteo, Zola, and an unhappy Dan Petrescu because he didn't play. Yeah, but all the others did. Yeah. Which is yeah. weird. I mean, yeah. the other thing I would say, and I mean, you know, I, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Frank LeBeuf many, many, many years later. I had a couple of conversations with him because he, he became quite a mate of uh, old Michael Roban out in L.A. Who, uh, gotta got to tell you this, Michael phoned me up because, of course, Frank was now into acting and Michael's a producer in Hollywood. And uh, I knew that Mike was going to meet him for lunch. And I made Michael promise that when he met Frank for lunch, he had to get up, stand up in the restaurant and said, he, he's here, he's there, we're not allowed to swear, Frank LaBeouf. And by God, Michael did it which I thought was brilliant of him. And Frank absolutely pissed himself laughing. He thought it was hilarious. So, uh, you know, I said, oh, I'd, I'd love to meet him if he's coming over to London. So I, he, I phoned him up and uh, we, we arranged to meet. I met him at the bridge and he had literally just been in the mega store and he was uh, ecstatic. Um, he had just picked up a DVD of the Villa Cup final. And the reason why he was so ecstatic was because I think he might have been with his little son uh or or i can't remember if he was with him or not but he was very keen to point out about the fact that uh dennis wise had henry on the pitch but i think frank had his son on the pitch as they, well I think they all did i think they all had their that's kids that's right yeah. and he so there we go that I'm, I'm, i remember now he's he, he didn't have his son with him he said i can't wait to get back to paris and to show my son who's now a lot older the photograph on the back of this dvd with him uh on the pitch celebrating with us you know with all the players so there you go. So he may have been had the hump at the time, but he clearly remembers it very, very fondly. So interesting, interesting contrast, really. Well, JK, you look almost stunned, stunned into silence. Or are you you're just on your last leg, love? I think it's the fact that it's three and a half hours. I know. It's fucking mental, isn't it? Well, we're going to wrap it up now. You'll be very glad to know, as will we. No, I'm not glad to know. I'm just because I've enjoyed every minute of I it. I could go on for another two, actually. It's, I, you know what I said earlier on? I said this is one of my favourite seasons of all time. Oh, yeah. Because there was so much that happened this season. So many great, memorable matches. So many ups and downs. This, if you want to, if you want to distill Chelsea Football Club into one year, this is the year. It had everything that is so classically Chelsea in my book. Remember, we actually haven't got any history, and it never really happened. Of course, because we hadn't been invented yet, had we? No, we hadn't forgot no. that. Yeah, but you know what I mean. It, it literally is a classically Chelsea season. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't it? And so, with, with with when each player contributed so much. Um, and each player had such great individuality that, uh, well, that sounds as if they didn't play as a team. There were such good players in this side and, uh, uh, and, and there were some great performances as well as being some dreadful performances, which, as you say, is kind of typical Chelsea. Yeah. Really. Just to round it all up properly, um, we were fifth in the league behind Liverpool, Leeds, Arsenal and Man U. Uh, we were knocked out the first, <coughs> the third round of the League Cup. Uh, we made the quarterfinal of the Champions League at our first attempt and we won the FA Cup, of course, as we've just been saying, which meant that we would be in the UEFA Cup next season. Um, I mean, I have to say uh, that this... I, I think I, some of the best football I've ever seen Chelsea play, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking right up till now, 
was was in this season. There were moments in that season where we just where our football with the kind of players that we had playing at their absolute peak was just unbelievable. Um, I'm going to mention the final game, but there were other games too. I think for me, for me, this was in spite of its weirdness at the end. I think this was really very much a coming of age season for Chelsea. You know that we 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 had played in the Champions League. We had we had mixed it with the very very best in Europe. And we hadn't looked out of place at all, apart from maybe that last half an hour against Barcelona. And I think the interesting thing is in the season review, both Ray Wilkins and, and Dennis Wise both said, you know, much the same. Um, but, I mean, if you look at it more holistically, JK, as I know you, you, you have done all night, actually, I mean, we have more cup success. I mean, winning a second FA Cup when we waited 27 years to win the next one only a few years before should not be underestimated. But we clearly had not cracked... Uh, the league yet and, and I, I mean the obvious question to ask really JK was you know was managing a Champions League campaign really to the detriment of the league or were we still short on title winning quality and consistency but it certainly looked that way didn't it just because we seemed to have a um a lull every single time we played a Premier League game after um after we'd played the Champions League well, I worked that out right so games before and after a Champions League game this is right. We won eleven, we drew six, and we lost seven. <clears throat> it sort of proves it, really, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. That. But was that because of his selection? Because he didn't play consistent sides. Um, uh, as I say, Morris didn't play in the Champions League at all, and yet was had a large number of games, didn't he, in the season? Played forty-six, Jody. Yeah. And uh, I mean, very decent player, but not of the same class as the. The, the players he replaced, um, who were world-class. There were some world-class players in that side. Um, and that's why I was ultimately disappointed in the season. Um, uh, but perhaps it was even, as, as was suggested by, we suggested earlier, and, and Hutchinson in the video suggests that um, they were pleased to have got to the quarter-final, as that meant we were, you know, one of the eight best teams in Europe. And I remember thinking at the time myself, wow, we're we're amongst the eight best teams in Europe. And yet the reality, when you look at it, is that with a, with players like that and the ability to play at such a high level, um, uh, it, it, not to then translate that into a league performance, um, I found very disappointing. Um, uh, and you wonder whether Bates found that disappointing as well with all that investment. And this ultimately meant that... Um, um, and particularly with the disaster of Sutton, who no doubt was was approved of by Viali. Um, uh, well, I don't think the board would have. Uh, well, they would have. He'd have, they'd have asked him what he felt. The fact also him being a striker that he was so off off with his uh, assessment of Sutton as a player, um, I found alarming. Um, so perhaps Bates he was on last chance saloon, and perhaps they were aware that he was alienating all the all the players. And it was difficult for him to play that role as being both manager and their mate because he'd been their teammate. Um, perhaps that was why the following season it became so short-lived. Well, um, in, indeed, and and of course the club were running out of money, which we now know we now know, but we didn't then. Um, it's, that's when really you know. When well, then the pressure should be. Perhaps the pressure was yeah. that season was to go further in the Champions League. Well, maybe. And, but and that, even, yeah, but that's know, that's a stretch, surely. First oh, no, time indeed, in the Champions indeed, League. But, yeah, but you don't know. I might, Bates had been put so much money into the club. He was all perhaps expecting Champions League the following season to yeah. keep 
to keep the coffers going. That's so therefore, more likely. He failed on that level, didn't he, Luca? Yeah. Hey, the first time that the there we go, Luca Viali marks the first recorded instance of a of a Chelsea manager basically getting the tin tap for failing to get us into the Champions League. <laughs> Who knew it was Luca? All, all these years, we never realised. I mean, Mark, we, you know, going back to what I said originally, you know. Was it a case of finding it hard to manage because of the huge amount of matches and all and the inexperience, or was it really the fact that we just didn't have enough quality to compete in the league yet? We were short on that kind of consistency that you need and the kind of quality of play you need to win the title. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think we had the quality players. I think we had a decent sized squad. You know, if you look at the size of that squad and the amount of people that played during the course of that season, you know, for me, it will always be a memorable season. You know, I, I think you know you also measure. Bearing in mind, if we rewind a few years prior to that, are years of being starved to success. So how do you measure a successful season? Is there a bit of silverware in the cabinet at the end of it? Yes, there is. So, you know, as long as that season was as frustrating as parts of it was, uh, as lots of silly results, it's still a good season because we end up winning the FA Cup at the end of it. But it clearly could have promised a whole lot more because that was a good side. Uh, and I think it's almost now looking back at it, it's like the end of an era for me. Yeah, those players, the 98-9, when we definitely should have won the league. So the squad was good enough in 98-9. We were just a bit unlucky and Steve Guppy did for us. It was good enough in 99-2000. I think it was just too much football there. And probably our focus might have been in the Champions League rather than the Premier League. But the squad should have been big enough and good enough to compete on all, all levels. Um, bearing in mind we also got knocked out really early you know, so that should have done us a favour Huddersfield knocking us out of the League Cup early doors so we had one less competition to focus on shall, shall we say we, we were fortunate in the FA Cup we got a lot of home draws that always helps so we could have done better in the league we did extremely well in the Champions League it's a bit of what might have been but there was a lot of high points during the course of that season a lot of high points we've, we've, we've talked about tonight and, and, and some low points as well but I think for Viali, probably too much rotation. Uh, and the, the other thing, and I can't remember which said it at the civic reception, I think one of the issues the players had with Viali was in the same way he won a lot of sympathy as a player about he was treated by Rude Hullett, you know, and Rude Hullett's management style towards Viali. What they said was history was repeating itself with Viali's management style with certain players in that squad. And in the same way, he was being left in and out of the side by Hullet with not always an explanation. It was happening under his management, you know. So he he was copying his predecessor that he was very quick to criticise when it was happening as well. So I think the word, you know, hang on a minute, this is a bit double standard. You know, you're doing to us what was what was done to you. you know? uh, but obviously, we'll talk about that more as we move into the next season. Uh, because it is the end of an era for me, and then we go a, a five-year period without being bluntly successful. No, without know, any we, trophies, that's for sure. That, and that's what I mean. And without so, changing the manager. And without any money. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come to the money bit as well. And I, I do think, you know, and we'll talk about it on the next show, but you can read about it if you buy Really? Where can we read about it, Mark? Why, why a book called Blue Tomorrow <laughs> it also talks about the finance where, where, where can you buy this book? Well, you might pick it up at uh, all good bookshop and those good Amazon people. Oh. Or you might pick it up for me on a match day. Well, there you are. go. There you go. Uh, I do make reference to that turning point 
with everything that went into Chelsea Village and the importance of Chelsea being successful on and off the pitch. Mm. But you need to be successful on the pitch as well because that drives the business that helps Chelsea Village with those 200,000 people that will have to come along every single year on a non-match day, which probably is happening now with all the things that happen at Chelsea Football Club now. So the vision was right. We just went through a lean period at Chelsea Village where the punters weren't using the restaurants other than on match day. They weren't using the hotels other than on match day. And the only viable concern of Chelsea Village back then was the megastore. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also add to all of that that, you know, we did have a... We, I mean, Chris Sutton being an unmitigated flop was very much not part of the plan, which really didn't help. But we also had a few injuries that we could have done without. Um, you know, so... Took the words out of my mouth, JK. I mean, Soxie... I mean, I, I forgot that he was injured, and I, I remember originally in my notes I wrote, "Why didn't Lasso play much?" And I remember that he got injured and he was out for the season. And Soxy was one of our best players, no doubt about that. Uh, we also lost a lot of the central defence in the middle of the season, which is why we bought Emerson Tome. That didn't help. Uh, and of course, even George Weyer, who we bought to uh, make up for how shit Sutton was, he he was out for a month. Uh, and remember, he was only there for five months. So, you know, these things do not help, as we're now finding out in the current season. So there are some mitigations. Reality is, as I said, this this has to go down for me as one of my favourite all-time seasons for all the, the classic Chelsea-ness of it. And as Mark was saying, we had some very, very high points. Sunderland for Poyer's goal. I mean, really memorable things that we still remember very clearly today. You know, uh, the, the two AC Milan games, Dennis Wise's goal, the welcome to hell and the performance in... Uh, Galatasaray, the 5-0 against United, Feyenoord away, Weyer's last-minute winner against Spurs, JT's first goal for Chelsea, and the amazing Barcelona at home match. And of course, you know, don't forget we won an FA Cup final. So it was a good season on that point. And of course, some unbelievably low points. The ones that stand out for me are that bloody canoe hat-trick and of course Barcelona away. But uh, don't forget the horrible performances against Watford, Huddersfield and Sunderland. If this season does not define a Chelsea season, I do know do not know what does. But uh, I very much hope that you lot out there have enjoyed it even half as much as us three have. I mean, we've really absolutely gone to town on it tonight, and uh, we're, we we all need oxygen after this. I think, don't well, we, JK? As always, I'm going to have to lie down and try and prevent myself from reliving the season. I, uh, uh, yeah. Oxygen or bed or both, mate, I think is we'll what we need. Focus on the FA Cup win and go, yes! Yeah, go and watch the FA Cup win again and then you'll feel better. Not, J- the, first, not the first half. Though. Fast forward it. That's the thing yeah, to do. Uh, JK, as, as always, been absolutely stupendous doing one of these with you. I, I have to say, I really, I so enjoy doing these shows. I mean, they're just so yeah, much they're great, fun. Aren't they? They're great. But uh, as you said earlier, if it was just you and me without Mark... It'd, it'd be, be fucking rubbish. It'd be like, it'd be like, It'd be like the Chris Sutton. Of old, old farts. Just, well, yeah, just, yeah. I can't remember what happened then. What happened what then? Happened? Have you got an interesting story? No. no okay, no. on to the next yeah. one. It would be, it'd be like the Chris Sutton equivalent of podcast, mate. <laughs> really, wouldn't it, if you think about it? But uh, always a delight to have you on a, a slightly different uh, Chelsea fan cast. And uh, thank you very much, as always. And uh, and as for you, Mr. Meehan, um, as JK was kind of saying, without you, these shows would be bloody rubbish, mate. So thank you. No, my pleasure. I think it's going to get harder, though, chaps. You know, I think we're going into a bit of a fallow period for me. You know, ra- uh, there weren't many high points for me with Ranieri's time as manager. But can I just state my my before we yeah. finish this? Yeah. Ranieri was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we might struggle for the next few well, years. You well, yes, you might, but in mitigation. Um, yeah. As a final final point, which I can always cut out, I don't know, we'll see, because I've kind of said the goodbyes, really. But 
I had made a pact with my my brother-in-law in 1996, I think. When did he get married to my sis? About then. Uh, and he says, why don't you go to Chelsea? I said, I can't be asked, mate. I'm living in Winchester. Why would I travel all that, that way, all, all that hour and a half to get there? Why would I do that? He said, that's rubbish, mate. He said... He said, tell you what, when you move back to London, if you move back to London, we'll get season tickets, all right? I said, well, I've never had one before, but that sounds fun. I'll do that. Uh, I think it's the next year, the year after, I can't remember now, one of them, that I actually finally got my season ticket at Stamford Bridge. and went with. So I, I actually, you know, I was really excited. And I'm more excited about the fact that I can actually now say that uh, I got my season ticket when we were shit. In comparison to, you know, so I, you know, I, I'm like the glory hunter who turned. That's the equivalent almost of like winning the cup in 1970. Going, oh, how exciting! I'll get a season ticket. Chelsea are really good, and then going through the <laughs> mid 70s, really. But there you go. Anyway, on that surreal point, I think it's time for us to say good night. Um, it's been a real joy as always. Really loved in, uh, doing it. I hope you all uh, like listening to it too. Thanks again to Mark Meehan for being brilliant, and to J.K. for being fabulous as well. And we will see you next time. There's a break that allows us to do it. We look forward to that. Take care. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.